Mindset Game Podcast, and I'm your host, James Roberts. Before we get started with this week's show, first off, let me take this opportunity to welcome back the regular listeners, and if this is your first time listening to the show, I hope you enjoy this episode and decide to subscribe to the show. And today's guest, I've got Ella L. Shafi. Shafi. And she's... Uh, well known for being the nutritionist on BBC's Eat Well for Less. So thanks for coming on, Allah. Thank you for having me. Also, we talked a little bit off air, obviously, about emotional eating and whatnot. Uh, the first question I'd like to ask you is, what inspired you to become a nutritionist in the first place? Well, I'm actually a registered dietitian um, by profession. So I have a degree in nutrition and dietetics. Um, um, as dietitians, we're actually registered on the Healthcare Professional Council's register, so we are um, uh, accountable for um, the information that we give to the public, um, and you know are, are qualified to do so. Whereas nutritionist is not a protected title, and dietitian is. So, and to answer your question about what inspired me to become a um, dietitian and study nutrition, well. I was always really interested in science, and I love cooking. I'm a real food foodie, hence why I have the website Nutrition Rocks, www.nutrition-rocks.co.uk. Um, and so it was a perfect marriage, so to speak. Um, and I was all, also really um, you know, in, inspired by how nutrition and food can um, really uh, change somebody's outcome with regards to their well-being and their health. And also their their mood. Okay, and then obviously we t- you touched upon it a little bit. What are some of the differences uh, between a nutritionist and a dietitian, and what are the limitations between the two roles? Okay, so basically, um, a anybody can actually call themselves a nutritionist. You don't need to have any formal qualification. However, people that have done a Bachelor of Science um, in Nutrition most often are registered nutritionists and it's always really important to check somebody's qualifications because there's a lot of myths and misconceptions out there which is really worrying and can actually potentially be quite dangerous. Um, With um, dietetics, nutrition and dietetics, we're clinically trained so we are trained to actually be able to administer and support people on therapeutic diets. So these uh, the people, my colleagues, that work in the National Health Service and the private sector, working with people with a range of different um, illnesses. And there's also a portion of my colleagues that work in health promotion. So that's working with well people to ensure that they stay well as well. And then obviously, well, it's probably a big thing. Obviously, the, I think the BBC have done a few programmes on uh, I think the title was Clean Eating, and I, I, I was yeah. under the interpretation, obviously, reading that title, I was thinking, okay, it's going to be a program talking about, uh, obviously, following the trend of, uh, say, uh, what was on the on the BBC would eat well for less, um, Channel 4's Food Unwrapped, and programs like, like that, and going down the route of, obviously, changing people's perception of, food and things like that and it was completely the opposite and it was looking at as you said uh looking at so how social media plays a big part in 
people's nutrition and people who are not qualified giving advice and kind yeah. of going down that route you're thinking and they were kind of going down the route obviously of um people uh prescribing uh say for example atkins as a form of weight loss okay over a short period of time as as you'd probably attest to any diet will make, will make you lose weight anyway and but that's only part of the story and that's in the short term term and then obviously they were looking at uh oh, for example uh cutting out food groups and obviously in the short term it's not the greatest thing to do but long term uh obviously these were people who had dis- oh, eating disorders and obviously obviously from a psychologist point of view obviously they can see that they they've got a eating disorder as a result of doing this but then obviously because that person isn't qualified to kind of instruct a person on how to eat healthily and obviously go in the right way about losing losing weight in a manageable way obviously that that person is also becoming going to yeah. go down that same route which is probably I was quite shocked and obviously to come to my point of, from that is obviously um it's probably a societal misconception obviously because obviously that person's uh, ideas are being taken on board by other people because obviously I don't know they've got x amount of followers say 50,000 and obviously people in this day and age obviously are put on a pedestal because they've got that social engagement Mm -hmm. which in fact when it comes to obviously health okay I could understand if they've got the the backing and the uh the scientific proof and obviously the education that they've put put aside to get to that level okay that's somebody I trust but whereas it's probably a misconception what people have okay that person yeah is popular you must know what they're talking about mm-hmm. yeah i mean and and that just shows what kind of world that we're living in at the moment it's it's really quite worrying um i mean the first thing I, i'm def- definitely going to put out there is that i absolutely hate the term clean eating i mean what does that even mean you know you know that you've left it by the bin that you know it's just it's ridiculous and and for me personally because my background is in eating disorders I worked as a specialist um, uh, eating disorders dietitian for quite some time and also as a specialist bariatric dietitian so working with patients that have severe um, obesity and having to have gastric bypass gastric banding surgery you know they're, they're the two extremes um, so regards to the psychology of eating and people's behaviours around food, um, this, these terms are really worrying. And what it then does is, you know, when you're scrolling down Instagram, like you say, um, following people who have um, popularity on their side and, and, and uh, a number of followers and celebrity friends, doesn't mean that they have any knowledge um, or are equipped to give nutrition information. And the problem with this is that they're, what they're selling and what they're perpetuating is um, 
perfectionism, which is not something that, you know, is, is advisable, sustainable, um, you know, and, and that's not really what life and, and healthy eating is about. It really is around balance. Um, and what they're perpetuating is a perfect life, um, eating, you know, greens 24-7 and, and uh, emitting food groups, which in actual fact, when you're emitting, if you're, if you're emitting a food group, you're going to end up with nutritional deficiencies over, over a longer period of time. And it's also something that isn't sustainable, you know, and, you know, really for, 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 for weight management specifically, what we need to be looking at is our lifestyle and the changes that we can make over the long term. It's boring, you know, for a lot of people. They, you know, everybody wants a magic um, pill or, you know, quick fix or, you know, selling the idea of perfection that, you know, that we want to buy into. But in actual fact, you know, it is actually, well, losing weight isn't the difficulty. It's keeping the weight off. That's the holy grail. And unless you change the, your whole behavior around food and your lifestyle with regards to activity, it's not something that's going to be sustainable. And what you're doing is then setting yourself up for failure. Um, and yo-yo dieting, uh, uh, you know, plays havoc on, on, on the body. And it can also um, swing people into binge eating. And also, too much of a fixation with this term, clean eating, um, is actually known as orthorexia. And I think that they touched on that in uh, on the program. And this is where we get a fixation um, around just eating healthy um, foods and nothing else. And the problem with that is then it impacts hugely on our lives. So people stop going out to dinner with friends, um, stop socializing, stop, stop eating with other people, you know, have very restrictive guidelines. And it really is on the outskirts of an eating disorder, um, you know, waking up and all they're thinking about is the food that they're going to prepare from the minute they wake up till the time they go to bed. And that is not healthy. Psychologically and mentally, that has a huge detrimental effect on our well-being. Like, like you say, obviously... With the greens, it's something I can attest to. It's like, I think I was asked when I was an elite athlete, did your diet vary from, obviously, what it is now? And then when I was younger, I said to people, no, it's, it's. I think maybe what would have changed over that period of time is obviously probably the quantity, and that would be about it. The, the, the amount of calories I was having to intake would be... Is the only thing I can think of would would be the only difference between obviously that yeah. time in my career and growing up because I was I think my mum would attest to this um, I was a big fan of my vegetables when I was a child which is I think some parents would say to my mum how do you make him eat his vegetables <laughs> it's like and it's something I still do now most of the time I'll eat my vegetables before before the my meats or my, my my carbohydrate is it's it's probably it's probably something I liked eating and I think it was or oh, it wouldn't have been until I was I can't think how old but it wasn't to my christening that I'd seen a bar of chocolate so I and I didn't know what to do with it 
think, what, what's, what's this? It's not, it's not, it's not a vegetable. What do I do with it? So, <laughs> so I, I think it's obviously, like you say, it's a, a mindset thing, and, and obviously, and I think they've got research to, to that I've seen recently. Obviously, what you like and you dislike now in terms of food is based on your genetics, which I quite found quite interesting. So obviously, if you come back to me, you would obviously like in vegetables. It must be something to do with something related to back in uh, somewhere in my family tree that 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 first, well, going back probably hundreds of years, obviously, food wasn't as accessible as it is now. And obviously, uh, things were more seasonal you had yeah. more seasonal veg whereas nowadays we can have whatever fruit and veg we want year round which is kind of not a good thing because obviously the the eating patterns as you say have changed we're not eating um foods that are associated to where we live and and that that like yeah and then I've got a question from one of my followers, uh, Wendy Roberts. She asked, uh, quinoa used to be a superfood. What do you think of it in terms uh, for IBS? Okay, so, well, first things first is quinoa is not a superfood, and neither is any food. Superfood is actually a marketing term. You can't get um, what you need from, your, from the diet just from one food. So that's the first thing. And with regards to IBS, um, this is a difficult one because IBS actually means, um, you know, it, it stands for irritable bowel syndrome. And that can affect um, any, uh, um, any part of the alimentary canal, so any part of the digestive system. And the problem with that is, you know, no two people are necessarily the same. So to, to, to um, be able to actually answer that question, it, it's, it's, it's almost impossible because, you know, it's really person-specific so I wouldn't be able to say to you, yes, quinoa is fine for IBS, because actually it might be completely contraindicated um, for, for somebody else. You know, it's, it's really person-specific, and it really depends on the type um, of IBS um, a person has. And often with these ca- cases, when, even when they're seeing a consultant gastroenterologist, about their symptoms, even they don't know. And actually what needs to happen is that they need to keep a food and symptom diary. So over a period of time, they would, it would actually be trial and error to find out how that particular food affects their digestive system. Also, stress is a huge factor, particularly with IBS, and it can affect um, people differently as well. And then obviously, as you touched upon, obviously IBS is well it's still they found no cure as to well no there is no cure for the the term the disease but then also like you say it's it varies from person to person and what the re- root cause of that particular exactly. uh inflammation is is as you say will vary from person to person and obviously it's it's probably one that obviously the GPs go to probably to some account, probably not in a good way because obviously oh, somebody's got bloating, for example, or they've got IBS, and then it, yeah, could, exactly. be, it could be, as I was reading in, uh, in an article, 
the other day. It could be a number of, of factors which is causing that uh, intolerance, uh, allergic reaction, um, yeah. or bloating. And then, it, obviously, as as the article said, it could range from uh, worst cases of it being obviously an, into an intolerance, which is not the end of the world, to being a celiac disease, which is life threatening, to obviously, obviously even more severe of obviously bowel cancer and and that yeah. like. So it's obviously, as the article said, it's obviously. It's probably gone uh, to a bad thing in this day and age. Obviously, a lot of people go about self-diagnosing themselves, and which yeah. is probably not the best idea because you could Google. Um, you can Google anything, anything um, these days and self-diagnose and scare yourself half to death. But you know, it, it is really important, like I say, to um, be in front of the the right people, have the right information, and really. Um, get you know, get in touch with your own symptoms, and you know, keep um, uh, you know a, a food and symptom diary because that actually will will be the clue to to really helping to alleviate and helping your healthcare professionals um, help you back. And the next question I've got from Piers Wilkinson is, uh, he's he got uh, his question is on a budget of ten to fifteen pound a week. Is there any suggestions on how to eat healthier as a student? Oh, okay. Lots of suggestions here. Okay, so, um, well, thinking about myself when I, when I was a student, one of the things, um, we lived in a house of um, six um, up in Leeds there, and uh, what we actually did, which was fantastic for um, budgeting, actually there were six of us, and so um, at the start of the year there was we would pair up, and each week we were responsible for beating the budget um, and getting as much food um, for as little cost as, as, as possible. Um, and um, we had a pot, you know, um, at the end of the year that, um, you know, took us all out for, you know, like a big slap-up meal if we, if we managed to, um, to make it. And that was really helpful because the first thing for a student, if, you're, if you are living in a, um, a, a group house, shared accommodation, as most people are, if you can do that and actually um, do a collective shop, your money goes a lot further and actually buying for more people is much more cost-effective than just buying for one. That's just fact. So that's the first thing that I would say. If you can group together and do that, that's great. Particularly if there are buy one, get one free offers um, in the fruit and veg aisles and <laughs> the meat aisles. I'm not talking about necessarily uh, the processed foods that are out there or the Haribos. Um, so, so that would be it. If you can buy in a group, that, that, that's the first thing. Secondly, you'd already said this when we had our brief chat before, have a list. Um, and also, don't just be, you know, supermarket specific. Be, you know, be a little bit savvy. Go, go around, you know, check it out and have a look at what offers each of the supermarkets, um, you know, are, are offering each week because they do change it, and that can um, make a huge difference to your savings and your budget. Um, and then the other thing is as well with regards to markets. Most, you know, times have a good market. If you go at the end of, you know, at the weekend. 
and a Saturday at the end of the day, you know, as they're closing up, you can get some brilliant bargains, you know, but just make sure you take, you know, some so heavy sort of um, Hessian bags, you know, shopping bags along with you. But you can pick up some brilliant um, bargains, particularly with fruit and veg, because, you know, they, you know, they're perishable goods. And so, you know, if, if you know, don't be afraid of veg that it looks like it's on the turn or isn't that attractive. Um, you know, I'm all for the wonky veg boxes. Uh, um, you know, take care of those ugly carrots because, you know, they're, they're all the same when you've diced them up um, and, you know, putting them in a casserole or something. And then the final question I've got you for, for today is it always better to make it your own? Uh, the example being rice pudding versus shop bought. Yeah. Okay. Well, I mean, the 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 thing with that is, I mean, I guess the answer is the straight answer is yes, because you know um, what you're putting. Um, you know, you know exactly what the ingredients are, unless, of course, you're going to put ten tons of sugar in there and you know half a tub of um, clotted cream as well. Not so much. Um, but yeah, absolutely. You know what. Um, your cookie. Also, from a cost point of view, it, it is um, cost effective if there is more um, than just one of you. Um, you know, because rice pudding is not really an easy thing just to cook for yourself. Um, you know, either um, you've got a big family or um, friends. Um, you know, you're going to have a, like a rice pudding dinner party or something. Um, but yeah, it's 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 um, I, cooking for yourself means that you've got control of what's going in it so you know that would always be my number one but there are also some really great pre-packaged foods you just have to look at the labels you need to look at the ingredients list um the more ingredients there are in it um you know might raise a few eyebrows um and and also the higher up the list that you see things like sugar and fat um is a good indicator of how much there is in that particular Products. So if it's you know, you know, second or third, it's pretty high. Okay. Well, that's definitely something to take take on board. And if something you you brought up on the Eat Well for Less, obviously about the the traffic light system, and I found quite interesting. Obviously, you 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 said it refers to oh, what was it? Um, an average woman, which woman, is, yeah, which quite it was it, it quite. It was like, well, how, how, why, why do they do that? And obviously that's only a proportionate half of the population. It is. Very well spotted, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. I mean, that, I, I mean, my personal viewpoint is that labelling still has got a hell of a long way to go, you know, and I still think that it's not particularly clear. And I think, like I said on the programme, when you're looking at these foods, oh, most of the time they're, you know, they're giving you that information in 100-gram measures. We don't eat food in 100-gram measures. And actually, what they really need to be is really um, transparent and saying, if you eat this meal for one um, that you've just purchased, this is going to give you X, Y, Z. And actually, in your total um, daily um, intake for a man or a woman, this is you know either half or a quarter. People can quantify that, you know, um, and I think it just needs to be much simpler. Um, and also remember, it's not just one food or one or one meal. It's in context of what you're eating in the whole day. So even if you you are purchasing a meal or eating a meal that is higher in fat, 
for example, or that bit higher in sugar, it's not necessarily a deal breaker because it's actually what you do most of the time. And that's the key. And I think that's where a lot of people, um, you know, miss the point or think that they've messed up. When in actual fact, it really is about the bigger picture. It's not just one meal. It's what you're doing over a day, over seven days, over a month, over the year. That's what's going to make a difference um, to, to your well-being and your health overall. That's, that's quite an interesting point. Uh, I think we'll wrap it up there. Uh, so thank you very much for taking the time to come on the show. It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And before I forget, I would really appreciate it if you would be so kind as to leave a short review as it helps to get the podcast more notoriety and it will be more visible in future to others and thus helping more people, which my guests and I are all about. Once again, thanks for listening and I'll catch you next time for another episode of the Mindset Game Podcast. Thank <laughs> you.